Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery and welcome to season six, the coronavirus season, some might say. Some might say that. I guess we could say that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're actually living it. But uh, you have the intention of well, first of all, th- this season's going to be pretty fluid. We're just going to be releasing episodes as in sort of when we can get them up because your feeling is that they are really relevant to the time we're living in. Yeah, I mean, this is not where I thought season six would go, obviously, because when I was planning season six, no one knew that, you know, many of us would be living under lockdown, that coronavirus would be a thing that we would all be contending with and it would be affecting our lives the way yeah. that it is in the yeah. many different ways that it is. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of flying real loose on this one, (laughs) on this season. Yeah, As you know, we haven't taken a break between season five and season six like we normally would. And that's for the exact reason you just shared, because I think there are people who I want to talk to who have things to offer right now in the coronavirus period in in time that will be helpful in the moment. You know, mm. I don't want to hold on to things to kind of spread it out over eight weeks. Yeah. So I'm just going to ask you guys to go with it. Mm. Yeah. Everyone listening to go with it for this season and kind of bend and, and flow as we do. I've got some really fantastic conversations that I'm very excited to share with you. Obviously they will have things, you know, these conversations will, will hold within them tips and ideas and mindset shifts and strategies that are going to help now. And we're recording this pretty close to real time. We're recording this a few days before the season launches, pretty close to real time. Uh, But they will also be episodes that if you're listening past coronavirus time, and I know a lot of people, you know, come to the show later, there's going to be so much in these episodes that still apply. You know, today's episode, for example, is about productivity, working from home, how to create realistic expectations of ourselves, be it whether we're self-employed or, you know, work for an organization or if we're the boss of an organization. Mm. And this episode was a bit serendipitous too, because yes, you recorded this when coronavirus was an issue, but it wasn't like the global pandemic that it is now. Well, it wasn't wasn't affecting us in Australia Australia. as much. We weren't locked down. So when did you record this specifically? It was sort of... Oh gosh, I think it was early March. Um, So... That's probably about right. So Louise Miller, my guest, the day that I spoke to her was the first day of lockdown in the UK. Okay. That's when stuff started to get real serious. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, people were transitioning Mm -hmm. to working from home. I think there's probably, as we speak today, more people working from home or trying to figure out what that looks like. Plus, even if you're not working from home, the circumstances in which we're all working are vastly different to what they normally are. So there's probably going to be ideas in this episode for those of you who are still maybe working in an office or I know some retailers are still open and all those Mm. sorts of places that will, it will hopefully allow you to see this weird time through a lens of grace and compassion, which is something Louise talks about a lot. And I think that we all really need (laughs) at the moment because the expectations upon us are unprecedented. They are so strange. They are incredibly difficult and challenging for for many people. So Mm. grace and compassion are really wonderful tools to pick up 
at this point in our lives and use broadly and liberally. Totally, yeah. And productivity is such a hot issue, a loaded issue during these times because... Well, it is. They've, a, you're right, it's never been a time like this in the world. People are trying to do BAU, business as usual stuff, yeah. but it's impossible. Um, I don't think I'm far off the mark to say that the vast majority of people would find it impossible to be going business as usual. Even if you uh, already work from home, even if you know you have experience in homeschooling, even mm. if lots of things, none of this is the same as what life was. But it's a theme that keeps on getting bandied around is this, oh, we're business as usual, like mm. trying to placate people or trying to sort of soften the blow for a lot of people is like, no, we're just business as usual, trying to manage it. But it's impossible. Like it is dead set yeah. impossible. It's not It's not a thing that, that's happening. And so moment. your discussion with Louise sort of tries to unpick that productivity, like as in what's the new normal for productivity? Yeah, it, it does. And, and Louise also is someone who champions this idea of slow productivity, which I love as an idea because I have basically a decade of understanding of what slow looks like and means. What she's discovered is the vast majority of people she pitches the idea of slow mm. productivity to hate it because slow means it has negative connotations. You know, slow is lazy, slow is boring or dull or... Single-tasking. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what I immediately think of, like slow productivity is just a single task. That's what you think of because that's what you know it is. Yeah. A lot of people just hear slow and they think that it is the antithesis of what we're aiming for. See. You know, she, she and I kind of unpick that and why it's going to take a bit of time for people to recognise that there is power in the idea of slowing down our efforts in productivity. I'm not sure whether people can hear it, but there's a dog barking contest going on in our neighbourhood at the moment. Yeah, I'd like to blame that on coronavirus, but it's, it's got nothing just to do a with dog, it. That's our dog dogs. bark fest. Yeah. <laughs> dog bark fest to 2020. <laughs> so before we get into the episode, did you want to mention where people can get in touch with Louise? I do. Yeah. So if you head over to BettyLouOnline.com, so B E T T Y L O U Online.com, you will find out all about the lovely Louise, what she does in in terms of her work as a productivity coach, I guess. Uh, but also she's she's got a fantastic blog where she shares a lot of experiments that she's running herself, the lessons that she's learned about this idea of slow productivity. And also really it's a it's a great place to pick up resources and tools that you can use right now in this strange time that we find ourselves. Weird yeah. Time. This is an extra long intro because you want to, we want to also talk about Slow Beginnings, the online retreat, which is now open. Yeah, I do. And it is an ultra long intro, but it's the first of the season. So, you know, let's go with it. Uh, I mentioned at the end of last season, which was last week, <laughs> I have um, opened up registration for the online retreat again. Now, I hadn't planned on running this until a little later in the year. And I really was toing and froing about whether or not to bring it forward. But ultimately I decided that I wanted to, because while I know that many of us are working under new and unusual pressures at the moment, I also know that at some point life will begin to return to a more normal pace and a more normal structure. And what i feel very deeply is that for some of us, this time might be a really good opportunity to question what we want that new normal to look like for us, for our homes, for our families, for ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
So that's why I've decided to bring the retreat forward. Now, the retreat is not related to life in the time of coronavirus, just to make that really clear. It's the same structured retreat, six weeks. Um, It's a foundation level slow living retreat, the same that I ran last year. And each week we look at a particular topic and kind of take the journey together from understanding our personal values through to how we spend our time, through to how we view ourselves and our worth in the world. And all the way through those six weeks, we look at all of those questions through the lens of slow living, figuring out what things are important to you, what your highest priorities are in life, and gradually carving out a life where those things are at the center. So I feel like there is certainly a timeliness to that conversation. It's just sort of a really interesting time in the world for the the overlay of this course with coronavirus. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just going to be really, really interesting to see how that plays out for people. Yeah, I just think there's a a huge amount of curiosity about what the new normal is going to look like because undoubtedly things will change. Uh, undoubtedly with that change will come pain and discomfort for a lot of people. So that was my reason for hesitating. But I do believe that there are a significant number of us who are in the position to be able to start asking these questions of what is this going to look like after? What do I want my life to feel like after? And that's essentially what the retreat is going to arm you with. And of the feedback that you received uh, back in September last year when you ran um, New Beginnings for the Slow Beginning, I always say New Beginnings. It's kind of New Beginnings, Slow sure. Beginnings. Yeah. Uh, the feedback was extraordinary because people, I mean, a lot of people are saying this has now changed my professional life. I've changed jobs. I've changed industries. Like, the feedback has been exceptional. Yeah, it has. It has. I've been very um, humbled by, you know, the emails that I continue to get from people who have taken part in mm. in the previous retreat. So that's what we're offering. And if you want to find out more, specifically a breakdown of the six weeks worth of topics, mm-hmm. what's included in the retreat itself, yep. and just top level, that includes a weekly lesson, video lesson, a weekly Zoom call with me so we can discuss homework tasks and reflections and discoveries of the week. It also includes weekly meditation sessions with Kevin Jenks of Centred Meditation, a live weekly yoga class with Lauren Verona of Zenko Yoga, as well as some homework tasks, I kind of hesitate to call it. but you know, I think they're all homework tasks at the moment. Very good. Boomtish. So if you want to find out more, head over to slowyourhome.com slash beginnings. That will take you where you need to be. And if you've got questions, just hit us up uh, via email, ask away. And I'm really looking forward to to diving in. So the retreat starts on the 26th of April. Sunday, the 26th of April. 2020, Australian time. So I guess if you're in the Northern Hemisphere or, you know, other time zones, that might be your Saturday. Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. So Saturday, the 25th. And it runs for six weeks. So if that sounds like something that you might be interested in, head over to slowyourhome.com slash beginnings. That will take you to where you need to be. If you've still got questions after that, there's a link there to send us an email. So please feel free to do that. And I'm really excited about getting started and seeing where this round of the retreat leads us, because I feel like the work that we're going to do is just as relevant to me as it is to anyone else who decides to join me. And with that, I really hope you enjoy my conversation with the lovely Louise Miller.
for links to Louise's website uh, and social media, as well as all the stuff that we speak about in today's episode, including the retreat, head to slowyourhome.com slash season six, and you will find your way to all of those lovely links. Thanks, guys. And we will see you in the next episode. Louise, hello. How are you? Hi, Brooke. Yeah, I'm okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean... (laughs) best place to start because um, you and I were just chatting offline briefly and uh, I think it's important for all of these episodes that I'm recording at the moment to give a little context as to where things are at in this world that has changed so much over the last couple of months. Um, we're recording this at the end of March. You're in the, you're in the UK, uh, I'm obviously in Australia and you guys have just been locked down for the next little while and we're heading that way um, over the next few days as well. You know, this episode isn't necessarily going to all be about the current coronavirus crisis, but I think it's important to just give some shape to our conversation um, and to why my answer is also I'm okay, not that I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, strange times. Absolutely. Strange times. Absolutely strange times. Now, I think that you're the perfect guest for right now because, as I said, a lot of people are being locked down, which means a lot of people are having to work from home, um, particularly and often around maybe kids or a partner or housemates or, you know, not living in a place that's set up to work from home as a result of this crisis. And you work with people on, I'm going to say productivity, but I know that that's not the word that you would like to use. So (laughs) in a nutshell, what do you help people with? I basically, I work with mainly small business owners and I help them to kind of look at their vision and look at their goal and what it is that they're trying to achieve and break that down into really manageable and actionable steps that are going to help them to stay focused on what's important to them. That's going to help them to feel really motivated, help them to celebrate the progress that they're making, um, all kind of with one eye on their vision for the future, but also about how they're enjoying their lives right now. So a lot of that is around getting really realistic about what's going on in their lives. Um, And it's interesting, actually, because I talk a lot about what I see happen quite a lot where people try and separate out their life from what they're doing in their business or their working life, Mm -hmm. try and put the two things in little compartments. And to me, that's, that's always a bit of a bit of a mistake because the two things don't exist in a vacuum. You know, what's going on in our life is going to have an impact on our work and vice versa. And never has that been more true (laughs) than what's going on right now. (laughs) Absolutely. Interesting, interesting times, and you're right. It, what I do is productivity. I still use that word, but I don't like it. <laughs> I have yet to come up with a better word that I can use instead, though. So let's stick with productivity okay. for now. <laughs> it will do. It will do in a pinch, then, I guess. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think your point of the separation between work and life uh, is a really interesting one. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I posted on Instagram uh, yesterday about how I think that with so many more people working from home, that barrier between work and life will inevitably be reduced, if not removed. You know, you've got people working with kids at home. You've got people working in less than, uh, you know, less than ideal circumstances. And it's impossible for us to not view each other more as humans, you know, more as whole human beings when we get glimpses of the rest of people's lives and I understand that that would be very challenging for people particularly if working from home is is new to them but I can't necessarily see it as as a negative thing I think that anything that allows us to be our whole selves in our work in our 
homes, in our lives, in our families, in our communities is a positive thing. So for someone who maybe is listening to this and who is finding that that reduction in the barrier between work and life difficult, have you got some suggestions on how to perhaps you know maybe relax into it or strategies for dealing with that discomfort yeah there are a few kind of thoughts that I've had around that and I think that the most important thing um you know that feels true right now at the time that we're having this conversation is that we don't make these adjustments perfectly overnight you know this is a whole new normal for a lot of people and it's not we're not there yet, are we? You know, people are still trying to figure that out. And it takes time. And it doesn't just take time for us to figure that out. It takes time for the organisations that we're working for um, and the people that we're here to support. You know, it takes time for schools to figure out what this looks like if they're now having to try and support parents in homeschooling their kids. So everybody is going through this period of adjustment. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to remember. You know, before we talk about anything else, is just to have a little bit of grace and a little bit of compassion not just towards yourself, but to the, towards the people that you're that you're working with, because the chances are, you know, your your employers are not going to get this right first time if you're employed. Um, they're not used to working in this way either. So we're all kind of in this situation together. In terms of more kind of um, practical suggestions, I guess. I mean, boundaries obviously are something that that we all need to be thinking about. And again, that's that's going to change. I would say as we all kind of feel into what's working and what isn't. So as with everything, and, you know, you talk about this a lot as well, it's about experimentation, getting curious about what Mm. what feels good and what doesn't. And I would say, particularly for people who have got kids at home and having to adjust in that context. And I just also want to say at this point, I'm not in that situation. I'm not a parent, so I'm not an expert in this by any means. There are lots of people out there who I'm sure can offer support. And I know, Brooke, you've perhaps got some some insights you can offer here but it feels to me as though having a conversation as a family about how you're now going to structure your days feels like a really good thing to be doing yeah um and to be doing that regularly as things sort of shift and evolve i mean have you got any sort of thoughts around that with with the i know you and ben when you were traveling you were homeschooling the kids and all that kind of thing was there anything there that was working for you that you'd like yeah i think um it's funny, actually, because what you've just suggested really goes back to a lot of your uh, overarching work, like setting a vision and, you know, mm. being realistic about the lives, about your life and, and how your work is going to fit into it. I think that that is key. So Ben and I, uh, and we're only a couple of weeks into distance education again with the kids um, in this current situation. So we sat down with them the first week when we didn't really know what the extent of this was going to be and said, it kind of explained that obviously dad and I are going to have to work, you know, at home while you guys are at home and you're going to have to do school. And we sort of just plotted out the loosest of rhythms, you know, based on when Ben and I best work, you know, when we can do work that we really can't be interrupted for and then when there's work that we can be interrupted for and then what we knew of the kids rhythm you know when they're most energetic and engaged um when you know when we think we're going to all be in that sweet spot of being able to help each other the most and then the rest of the day we sort of left to see what shook loose but this week which is the second week and probably the first week that I think we've really seriously thought about the length of time this situation might be in place we're starting to kind of get more practical and specific about that. So I spoke to um, one of my sisters last night, actually, who has got five kids and she's also a teacher. So she's um, she's encouraged her kids who are older, they're all in high school and above, to, to sort of sit down and put together a list of things that, A, they need to do 
on a daily basis and B, that it's good for them to do on a daily basis. And they did that while she was at work uh, yesterday and she came home and they had this plan on the fridge which basically said these are things that we can do and it was cooking and helping with dinner and playing with the dog and cat and then things we need to do every day and that was things like a little bit of schoolwork and look different for each of them, tidying our rooms, cleaning up after ourselves, connecting with someone every day was on their need to do list and then there's Mm -hmm. things that they want to do. And I think that that kind of gives enough shape to what, you know, what your day could entail without it being restrictive. And I guess my only very kind of consistent piece of advice for parents who find themselves in this situation is to not be too restrictive in your routine that you set out. Because Ben and I tried that when we started distance ed with the kids in Canada and it did not work. You know, (laughs) we're not school. We're doing some of what teachers do in school. We are not school. And in order for the kids to learn and to, you know, move through this really tumultuous period, they need home to still feel like home. So it's sort of having fluidity, having a couple of things set in stone for your day, but being flexible about when they happen and, and what they look like as well. Yeah, I'm still trying to apply it in my own life. You know, I think <laughs> the tendency is to to want to get control over this situation. And so here's a routine. Um, in my experience, that's not working, particularly if I, I make it really strict. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I I talk a lot about, um, you know, structure, but I think it's really important to hold that structure really loosely. Yes. um, And to be willing to be flexible and fluid with it in the way that you've described. And I think, yeah, absolutely. And I love what you were just saying there about having those conversations and allowing the kids to do. You don't have to do all of the thinking on your own, do you? Involve everybody in the process. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We asked our kids what we thought was what they thought was reasonable, you know, in terms of the amount of screen time that that they were going to have. And then we agreed on it, you know, and we said, okay, so here's the deal. Do you agree on this? And, And they said yes. And we said yes. And then we're both on the same page. And when the inevitable pushback comes, we can say, but hang on, we agreed on this. That means you did as well. So I find that that helps. And I think that the same kind of principle in a way could apply when it comes to having conversations, you know, if you're an, an employee and you've got a boss about checking expectations mm. with them, because it's very easy for us to make assumptions about what's expected of us when things change. And if we actually don't take the time to check in with what's expected of us, we could well be holding ourselves to really high standards that are actually unrealistic and nobody is expecting us at the moment to be kind of meeting that kind of standard because this is not business as usual um and if we can let go of the feeling that we're going to be able to deliver what we would be able to deliver whilst we're in an office as to what we're going to be able to deliver whilst we're at home whether or not you've got kids around it's a different situation and a different environment you know whether you're in that position or not you're not going to be 100% productive. I mean, we never are. We're humans. We're not robots. Getting really clear about what you need and what your family need and then having a conversation with with your boss, with your clients, with whoever it is that you're working with, just to set out those new kind of expectations and to figure that out together. And again, that's going to be an ongoing conversation as you figure this stuff out. Yeah. What kind of questions can people ask themselves before they have that conversation with their boss um, about what, what we can drop off our, our regular to-do list for the time being? Yeah. I mean, yeah, to get some clarity. Yeah, I mean, you you um, covered a little bit of this when you were speaking earlier. You know, I've, I've got my notes here and I've kind of th- talked in a similar way about, you know, what what do you need 
<laughs> what mm-hmm. do you need to get done? So it's like, what does you, what do you need to get done from a work point of view? What does your family need from you? And it's really important as well in this this questioning to ask yourself, what do you need? Mm-hmm. It's not just about what your family needs and what your boss and your clients need. It's what do you need? Because you need to take care of yourself to get you through all of this as well. So those are the kind of bigger questions in terms of looking at your to do list. Um, when I whenever I talk about to do list, I always start from the place of the vision and the goals and the intention. Mm-hmm. And that is something that right now for a lot of people is going to feel quite unclear <laughs> and uncertain. So I think it can be helpful to go back and look at that again, figure out which bits of the intention and the goals that you thought you had two months ago, which need adjusting, what needs to be shifted, what needs to be changed to account for reality as it is right now. Because if you keep trying to meet the goals and the intentions that you had when life was very different, you're going to feel like you're failing. Mm-hmm. And that's no fun <laughs> for anyone. So it can be really helpful just to lift yourself up for a moment and get really as clear as you can, given the uncertainty that we're facing right now as we're speaking around, OK, what what is it that I actually want to be doing? What do I need to be doing? And also to remember that there actually doesn't need to be a goal right now. It's OK to just go with the flow. It's OK to rest and it's OK to just be. Mm. So I just wanted to take us back to that before I start talking into the nitty gritty of the to do list, because I think that's important to remember. I think it's it's vital to really um, allow ourselves to realise that we can reduce or remove those goals completely. I know it's sort of early days as we're speaking, but I've seen a huge amount of content around giving people ideas of all the awesome things that they can do with all their spare time, you know, in this lockdown. And it has given me so much anxiety. And I'm someone who's in the fortunate position that working from home has been, you know, the norm for me for the last couple of years. So I'm even, I'm not even grappling with the newness of it. And still, when someone's like, you could crochet a address you could do this you could you know you and your kids can travel the world every day and visit a new country and learn different words and cook different foods I'm like oh my god I can't do any of that (laughs) Uh, yeah I've been feeling exactly the same thing (laughs) it's crazy isn't it I know it's this how can we be productive in a in a different way and oh this is why I struggle with the productivity thing (laughs) right right it's very capitalist It really is. Yeah. And again, it's about proving, proving that you've made the most of this situation. It's like, why? Yeah. Can we not just take this moment to just go in a little bit and just to recalibrate, allow ourselves the space to do that? And I'm doing that at the moment because, like you said, we've just gone into lockdown yesterday. And I'm now in a place this week where I'm kind of, okay. I don't know what this means right now. And that that is not the time for me to be thinking, okay, what do I want to do? Yeah, it's the time for me to go and what do I need right now? And for me, a lot of that is I need to just not do very much. Yeah. And that's cool. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But in terms of, yeah, the nitty gritty. So I kind of see that there are a few different areas of life that we need to be thinking about right now. So there's what do you need to get done? What do you want to get done in your working life, in whatever's going on with with your kids, if that's the situation you're in, in terms of what's going on in your home life? your relationships and for you as an individual Mm. what do you need and relationships are an important part of that because with a lot of us being in lockdown we still want to find a way to maintain connection with people so we don't go completely insane Um, we need that for our mental health so it's useful to think about what is non-negotiable for you in those areas what are the things that you absolutely need Mm. in order to get yourself through wherever you're at right now and that might well just be rest and that's okay 
Um, and also don't expect that you're going to be able to focus on all of those things all of the time. You know, this is where tilting comes into its own, doesn't it? You know, we can't be across all of those things all of the time. So what I would suggest is once you've had a look at those areas, so your work life, kids, home, relationships and you and think about what is important to you in each of those areas and what are the non-negotiables that absolutely have to happen. Then take a look at your to do list and filter out anything that is not aligned with those really important priorities. Mm -hmm. And something I say um, over and over again is that you have permission to take things off your list. And it sounds so obvious, but a lot of people don't do that. <laughs> we're very good at adding things to our list, but we're not so good at taking things off. And I had somebody on a course I was running um, earlier this year. If somebody had asked her to do something three years ago. She put it on her to-do list. It never got mentioned again. It still stayed on her to-do <laughs> list and made her feel guilty every time she looked at it. Um, and when she suddenly realised that I didn't need to be on her to-do list anymore, <laughs> the sense of relief was huge so you know you have my permission <laughs> to take things off your to-do list particularly right now I think letting go right now is really really important it's funny that that sense of failure at you know we don't want to take things off our to-do list because we feel like maybe that's a failing of ours you know we've, we've we've really just missed the the boat on whatever that thing is so we keep it on there but the reality is that every time we see it and don't do it at least for me I get actually much more of a sense of failure than any time I remove things from my plate completely, you know, so it's which maybe we're trying to do the right thing by keeping it on there. One day we'll get to it. But I feel like for my mental health, having something on my to-do list for a week or a month that I know I'm never going to actually do, is it's a horrible feeling. That's interesting too. I've heard a number of conversations recently about how people are recognizing through this, these lockdowns and, you know, all these changes to our workday, our, our home lives, that so many of the things we thought were a necessity are proving to not mm. be. You know, they're Absolutely. like a lot of the meetings that people found that they they had to go to, they've discovered could actually be a brief phone call or perhaps an email. Or it's I think it's a really interesting time to to do exactly what you're doing and, and really ask like, what is a non-negotiable truly in my life? And I think that then requires some level of reflection on our personal values and priorities. Is that mm. something that you would encourage people to, I mean, hard to do it at the moment, but but even yeah. to start thinking about what those high values and high level priorities are in their lives and, and creating the list of non-negotiables based off that? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's absolutely what I would, I would encourage people to do. And all of that is tied up with the vision yeah. and the goals and the intention. All of that is all part of the same exercise the values are so so important actually when you get that clarity at that level it becomes really obvious when you look at your to-do list which things are not aligned with that mm -hmm. and it becomes really clear which are the shoulds and the oughts and the things that that were put there for a good reason a year ago but you're a different person now life is very different now it's okay yeah <laughs> you can take it off and it's absolutely fine so yeah getting clear on the values is a really good way of starting with this absolutely yeah mm. so i want to i want to pivot off into the phrase productivity again you've done a lot of work on trying to come up with a phrase that better reflects what you're all about and you you sort of came up with this phrase slow productivity and i found it super interesting because i i like it i i get it i understand that what you're talking about with slow productivity is intention. It's not actual pace 
of work kind of slow. Um, but you had a really interesting response from people when you pitched that idea to them back a few months ago. What what happened? <laughs> so let me just first explain why I don't like the word productivity. <laughs> so first of all, you know, when I think about productivity, it makes me think of cogs in machines, mm-hmm. makes me think of manufacturing and industry input output is very dehumanizing I think as a word and it's we all evaluate and judge ourselves don't we based on how much we've achieved hopefully we're not doing that but society is built in such a way that it you know you can't blame people when that's what they're doing we berate ourselves over what we haven't done you know we have these expectations in place about what our output should be and we measure ourselves against that when we're thinking about productivity and I don't like any of that Mm. (laughs) um putting the word slow in front of it feels very appealing to me yeah it makes it softens it in some way um and I've been living in this kind of um bubble of slow living if you like so I've been immersing myself in the slow living kind of thinking and world for the last five years so for me I understand slow meaning intentional and to me I feel that really describes my definition of productivity which is about not pushing to do more in less time. It's about really connecting in with our vision, figuring out what's important to us, which takes us back to the, you know, the values and, and the mm. vision conversation. And it's about getting important things done, the things that are important to us, getting those things done with as much ease as we can so that we can create the space for the things that we love. So like the traditional sense of productivity is head down, you know, nose to grindstone, Keep your head down and hope that you're going to get there at some point. Whereas the way that I talk about it and the way I think about it, it's about actually lifting your eyes up, stopping to smell the roses um, and actually enjoying the life you're creating for yourself now rather than waiting until you get somewhere. And to me, that's what I mean when I talk about slow productivity. Mm -hmm. But then I asked the Internet. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, the Internet. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out that lots of people don't really... um, perceive the word slow in the same way as you and I (laughs) Mm. um yeah and I I wrote a blog shortly after asking the question you know what people thought when they saw the the phrase slow productivity I wrote a blog and at that point um the overwhelming majority of the responses that I'd got had a really negative reaction so you know people were saying things like that the word slow puts a bit of a downer on it um You know, slow gives me a feeling that productivity is inefficient, somebody said. Somebody else said it makes them feel that they would be behind, disorganized, missed deadlines, panic, ineffective. So that was fun. Yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> isn't that always such a great feeling when you're like, here, I've, I've summed it up so nicely in this phrase and then <laughs> crickets or even worse, you know, uh, yeah. angry, angry emails and responses. I, I find yeah. that fascinating. Because uh, I've come across much the same uh, as I've spoken about slow. I sometimes forget that people hear the word slow and they have no no understanding of of any of the context of that, you know. Um, It might be the first time they're hearing it as a positive thing. And I was actually the same when I first came across slow because I, I assumed it was boring and mediocre and average and certainly not the kind of life that I felt like I wanted to be living But the irony is all of those things were how I felt previously. You know, I felt disorganized. I felt panicky. I felt overwhelmed when I was trying to do too much and slowing down and getting clear and intentional on what I wanted life to look like, be that, you know, work or family or myself or any of it. It has felt so much 
richer and deeper and you know more satisfying as a result. I, um, in season four of the podcast, I had a lot of conversations with listeners, and the thing that I did realize through that though is that so many people still view the word slow as a restriction, almost you know, because if you if you enjoy being busy and are still sort of striving for a slower life, those two things feel like they can't coexist, and then there's tension and guilt and shame and all of that that comes with it. So. What did you decide moving forward? Do you still refer to the work that you do as slow productivity or have you, you shifted to try and find another phrase? Or, <laughs> Well, the interesting thing was I – so at the time when I put the question out, most of the responses that came back were really negative. And then the irony was that the longer I left it, slower responses started to come <laughs> in from people who were actually on board. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I know. It really made me smile. Oh, that's just perfect it is but what I <laughs> what I noticed I was looking back at all of the responses um recently and a lot of people were on board with they could see what the idea of it was but they were using different language I think it was just the word slow yeah. rather than the idea that I was trying to convey so people were using words like steady sustainable peaceful productivity um you know, I sometimes talk about mindful productivity. I also talk about compassionate, sustainable productivity quite a lot. Mm. So it, I don't think it's that people are not on board with with the idea of what I'm trying to do. It's more maybe slow isn't the right. It's just yeah. not the right word, and that's okay. You know, that's that's fine. Um, as long as I'm able to help people to get out of the hamster wheel that I I was stuck on that led me to burnout. You know, I, I don't want that for other people. And and showing people that there is another way is what I'm here to try and do. Mm. Um, so whether that involves the word slow or not really doesn't matter. <laughs> no, you, you don't want to get caught up on that either, do you? Because I think that that then takes your energy and your attention away from the work that you're doing. And I think the work that you're doing is obviously far more important than a word. Um, yeah. I love those words, those those alternatives that people were using, though, you know, steady and compassionate and sustainable. They're really, and peaceful, they're really beautiful words that I think you're right, there is obviously a lot more understanding about what we mean when we say steady or what we mean when we say sustainable. Um, I, I encouraged people back in season four to choose a different word if slow wasn't working for them. And a lot of yeah. people landed on intention, you know, or attention as well. Uh, and I think it all comes back to learning how to sharpen our focus by figuring out what is important to us and, and then putting those things at the centre of our lives uh, over time. Yeah. I've had some really interesting conversations over the last month about pace. I've really noticed um, my little radar has been going off because I've noticed a lot of people saying they want to be doing things more quickly. And I find that so interesting. And I, I will always like I say my radar goes off and I sort of say gently question them on that. Um and there's this real sense that I'm seeing a lot where people are feeling things are taking them too long. Hmm. Tasks are taking too long. And there's a real difference between something that's taking a long time because you're not focusing. You're scrolling Instagram and sorting out your sock drawer and <laughs> checking your email. <laughs> and there's things taking a long time because that's how long things take. Obviously, we need to watch out for perfectionism in that. Um, but I just think... Those of us who have a business, we're in a really unique position where we get to review how our business is set up. So that allows us to work at a pace which is really comfortable for us. Mm. And for some people, that is going to be fast paced. And that's OK if that feels good to you. And if you've got some space built in so that you can kind of rest and recover and rejuvenate from that. 
but for other people you know we've got the opportunity to create a spacious and expansive kind of way of doing things rather than this feeling like we need to be going quicker all the time and just building something for ourselves that makes us feel really stressed and pressured so I feel really strongly about that as well and just trying to make sure that people are not fighting against their own natural pace and I had a beautiful conversation with somebody who said she said to me I've decided I want to radically accept and welcome my own pace and I nearly jumped up in the air when she said (laughs) that I was just like yes that's what we should all be doing yeah, I think there's some power in that. That idea of radical acceptance of, of sort of right-pacedness. You know, Kyle Honoré speaks of things being right-paced. And mm. you're absolutely right. That is entirely an individual thing. I know for me it's I've always felt a, a tension between the fact that when I'm working I do like to sit down and I like to work through what I'm doing at a reasonably fast pace. But mm. I do that, A, because that works for me or it did work for me up until a few weeks ago. Um, things are looking quite different at the moment. But also because for me part of what slow living is and what it has taught me about myself is that I really value having time to do things like get out into the garden every day and like exercising and like you know having sort of time when the kids get home to spend with them and help them with their homework and have afternoon tea. So it's sort of a, a much bigger kind of question as well isn't it is is how does that idea of working fast fit in with or working at whatever pace you know you want to fit in with the the rest of your life which kind of circles back so beautifully to what you first said about not allowing those barriers to keep us sort of stuck in these silos of different parts of our lives where there's no crossover you know Mm. I think what we choose to do at work or what we choose to do at home they have an impact directly or indirectly on all other parts of our lives and, and that's that's okay because we're an entire whole human being. Absolutely. And I think what we're going through right now is going to be very, it's going to be very interesting to see how, you know, how, how everything adjusts to allow for that because Mm. it's going to have to be, it's going to have to, people can't work from home with their kids at home and still expect to be able to do things in the same way. Things need to shift. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how all of that pans out. And as I said at the very beginning, you know, as people are going through that, I think they need to go through it with compassion and with with grace and with flexibility. Yes. Not expecting to get it right first time and knowing that what works this week, next week might not work in a month. And that's okay. Keep tweaking and adjusting. Yeah, I'd also encourage anyone who who has employees or is a manager or um, to extend that to yourselves because I can only imagine that if you were responsible for the output of a team during this time or, you know, you're managing a a department, I can imagine people will be internalising a huge amount of pressure as well. So, you know, this doesn't just apply to people who are running their own race. It doesn't just apply, um, you know, to people who have their own business. I think this is absolutely applicable to everyone at all levels of all companies and organisations who are trying to make it work. So, I think that echoes what you said at the beginning um, as, you know, an employee, don't assume that the expectations are coming from above because everyone, your boss, their boss, their boss's boss is grappling with this, you know. And I think that bringing humanity back to the way that we communicate and bringing down those barriers at least somewhat is going to help us all recognise that. The CEO still has her own stuff to deal with. She may have kids at home. She, she's living in the same world as everyone else and is grappling mm. with it. And I think that humanity and compassion is so key at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up, I think one of the, the things in a very practical sense that maybe people who are working from home for the first time could be struggling with is how to switch off from work um, 
at the end of the day or, or whenever it is that you're able to finish up. Like, do you have any strategies for kind of just drawing a line in the sand and saying no more for today? Yes, I do. Absolutely. So, and again, this might require a bit of experimentation as we all figure out how all of this is going to work in practice. But a really key thing is to get some kind of sense about what time it is that you actually want to stop working. So decide mm-hmm. on an end time um, and then do something, set a reminder, say half an hour before that time. You might need longer than that as you're kind of getting used to all of this, but a sort of reminder to allow yourself to start to wind down. So you've got your timer going off half an hour, say, before you're you're wanting to finish your work for the day. And then I would say, you know, begin to wrap up whatever it is that you're working on. Don't expect that you're going to get it finished. <laughs> Something that may, I was thinking about when I was thinking about this earlier, when I used to work in an office, I used to be able to walk home from work. When I could walk home from work, I would inevitably stay at my desk for longer because I'd be going, oh, let me just do this mm. and let me just do that. When we then moved further away and I needed to catch a bus, <laughs> I had to finish when I had to finish because if I didn't get out the door, I was going to miss the bus. So let's all pretend we've got a bus to catch. <laughs> Um, see what we can do to just, you know, try and really honour that end time as best you can. Obviously, everyone's work situation is different. So take what works for you from this. So, yeah, wrap up what you're doing. I would really encourage you, if you can, to get into the habit of trying to close documents that you're working on, close the tabs in your browser, close all of that clutter down. Um, Next thing to do once you've done that is to just think about what you're going to do tomorrow. Mm. So try and plan for your day tomorrow. No more than three priorities is my advice. Um, Three main priorities for the day that will really keep you focused and give you a really strong anchor to come back to during that day if you start to feel blown off course. And if you do that the night before, when you sit down to work in the morning, you've already got clear in your mind, this is what I need to do today. And you're doing that on your own agenda. So it's really important. Mm. So you've got your three things that you want to do tomorrow. The next thing I suggest you do is to write yourself a little ta-da list. So what have you actually achieved today? (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do yourself your little ta-da list and do some little, you know, do some kind of celebration. And this could be a really nice thing to do, actually, as well with your kids, with your family. You know, you could share that over dinner. And there are always things to celebrate, even on a really bad day. Your celebration could be, do you know what? I needed to rest. I allowed myself to sit and do nothing. That's a celebration, if you ask me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you're giving yourself what you need. Um, And just to throw this in there as well, there's a statistic that I love and will quote as often as I'm allowed, (laughs) which is that a brain in a positive state is 31% more productive than a brain in a stressed, neutral or negative state. Wow. So I know. (laughs) Obviously, there are more reasons and productivity to watch the way that we're speaking to ourselves um, and to, you know, kind of keep an eye on our negative self-talk. But for the context of this, I love that statistic. Yeah. Um, so if we can try and end the day with that kind of sense of celebration rather than fixating on all of the things that are still left to do, because there will always be things that are still left to do. Mm. We, don't, we don't ever get to the end. I always think of a to-do list as a bit like a laundry basket. You think you've got to the bottom. <laughs> and then before you know it, there's another sock in there. Yeah, isn't there? Absolutely. That's <laughs> yeah. why I, like, I really think that we should all embrace homebound nudity. <laughs> Perhaps not a good idea on video conferencing calls. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but yeah, so celebrate. Do your little celebration. Um, write your to-do list. And then really make sure that you shut down your computer. Tidy your mm. desk if you can and get up and walk away. And I used to be terrible at that. I would leave my computer open and get up and walk away and keep walking back to it <laughs> regularly yeah. when I first started working from home. 
And I soon found that that just makes it so impossible to switch off. So make sure you shut down. And then a really nice tip if you can is, can you do something to actually change your environment at that point to really signal that you've transitioned? So maybe there's something you can do um, with the lighting in your home. Maybe you could put some music on. Mm. Maybe if you're feeling really tense and stressed and you're struggling with that transition, maybe you just need a five minute meditation. Maybe there's some movement that you need to do to try and shift your energy. So once you've shut down and and walked away, what can you do with the space that you're in to really signal that transition? And what do you need physically and mentally to allow you into that kind of next stage of your evening? Like a a buffer zone, sort of that transition Mm. zone, allowing yourself the opportunity to to move your attention from where you were to where you're going. Um, Yeah, because... We're losing, you know, people are losing that commute. Yeah, yeah, where we get absolutely. The opportunity to do that. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's why that having that kind of wind down process is a really strong signal that you're now winding down. Mm. And I mean, this might form part of the conversation that you're having with your family around what your days are going to look like. You know, just being really clear with each other that you don't just sw- flick a switch and then all of a sudden you're in a different mode. There does need to be that kind of grace and, and buffer, as you've said. Um and people might need to go and take themselves off and sit in a room for five minutes yeah. quietly before they re-enter the family, you know. I think that's really, really important advice, particularly, I mean, for all of us, but particularly for those who usually do have that commute or that, you know, that time in between. I know when Ben used to work in the city, he used to view the train trip as an extension of his office hours and he would work on the train. Uh, and then he started having, you know, health problems and panic attacks and things and the doctor's first suggestion was to no longer do that give yourself the opportunity to transition your brain and your body and your nervous system away from how it was operating in the office to allow yourself really to to reset for you know the family time that was one of the most transformative things changes that he's made actually while he was working um, out of home so I I love the idea actually of just changing something in the environment of your home, whether that is your own physical energy by moving or meditating or putting on music. I did, I had never thought about it before, but I do that myself a lot when it sort of signifies a, you know, coming together at the end of the day or a family sort of time or, you know, it, it just really does shift the, the whole um, vibe of, of the home if I put on a record or or something like that. So that's really lovely. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be complicated. No. You know, keep it simple. And and over time, you will figure out what works and you'll create these little mini rituals for yourself. And I just wanted, I didn't get to say this earlier. I, I think it's really important as well to talk about breaks during the day. So how do you encourage people or what strategies or, or tools do you put in place for people to ensure they're getting enough breaks? Yeah. I, and I know days can run away with people when they're working from home yeah. all of a sudden. You've got no colleagues to speak to. There's no distractions All before you know it. The day's gone and you've not moved. So timers, setting a timer can be really helpful, maybe every hour or so. Um, I think what's also really helpful is to actually decide what you're going to do with your breaks rather than thinking, I need a break. What am I going to do? And then inevitably you end up on Instagram (laughs) scrolling, which isn't giving you the rest and the replenishment that you need. So some examples of what I do on my breaks I might decide I'm going to go and fold some washing, Mm -hmm. put away some dishes. I might sit quietly with a cup of tea. I might do a five minute meditation. I might go out in the garden and do some hula hooping. I might do some juggling. I want to come to your house. That sounds fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, part of that was the hula hooping thing came about because I wanted a transition from working from one client to the next rather than everything 
as we were talking before, you know, having that buffer from one thing to the next. And for me, I was like, when I finish this thing, I'm going to go and hula hoop before I start the next thing. So that might be another thing that people could do oh, I like um, to that. factor in breaks and movement yes. and transition time all in one hit. <laughs> and fun. Like what you've described is yeah. playful, you know, and I'm researching play a lot at the moment writing my book and playfulness for adults is so vitally important to not only our mental health but our physical health as well yeah Yeah, so you're kind of ticking loads of boxes with those those options I like that you know you could if it works for you and for the kids if you've got kids around you can involve your kids in your breaks do something fun with them for 10 minutes you know so yeah I think it's important set a timer just to remind yourself because it's very easy for time to run away with you have an idea of the sorts of things that you would want to do on your break and then you can just see what you feel like doing because that will prevent you from just going down the social media um, rabbit hole Mm -hmm. And another just sort of practical thing, if you're using a shared calendar with other people who are able to book stuff into your calendar, I would really recommend blocking time out for yourself for breaks so that you don't end up booked up to the eyeballs and all of a sudden you've got no lunch break. So that's just a really practical one. Um, And obviously, if you can get outside safely with what's going on at the moment, then that is always a good thing too. Yeah. Absolutely. Get a couple of lungfuls of fresh air. (laughs) If you can, yes. I know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a beautiful way to wrap up, actually. I feel like you and I could chat for a lot longer about all of this, um, but I think that what you've offered today was so many practical tools and strategies, but also permission. You've given given me permission. You've given, hopefully, people listening permission to just reduce the level of expectation that we're all carrying around, particularly at this point point in time when things are so uncertain so Louise I want to thank you so much for today for showing up um fully turning up as well I know that that can be difficult at the moment my brain's um probably not firing on all cylinders because there's so many things to (laughs) to kind of take in so I I appreciate it beyond words uh and I'd really recommend anybody listening to go and check out Louise's website which is bettylouonline.com um Louise L-O-U and I will include a, a link to that in the show notes over on the website too. But there's lots and lots of practical advice over there as well. And, um, yeah, thank you. It's been phenomenal. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Brooke. It's been really good fun chatting with you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Louise. Who is that? Hi, podcast.